This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 153 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, a uh, fun show for you today. I've got a couple odds and ends that I want to go over at the start, including some RPA shenanigans. I've got a couple nice pieces of Pacers mail that I want to talk about, um, and I even made a mistake in trying to acquire one of them, but I still got it. I'll go into more detail later. And then I've got a conversation that I recorded with a sports card photographer named Brian, who you might know from his Instagram handle, at sports card photographer. So um, you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. Okay, so some of you might remember that I tried to give a little love to Panini Hoops recently. And I even gave my favorite three designs on last week's mailbag. Well, just as soon as I tried to give them a little credit, they went full-on hoop sucks on me once again. Allow me to explain here. Um, Now, the product has been out for a little bit, and now, you know, I'm getting to see more and more of these cards pop up, especially in my patch searches, despite the fact that most of them are technically jersey cards and not patch cards. But that's an issue for another day, and that's not an issue with Hoops or Panini, that's just with sellers. But um, so my guy Chris Duarte is in the Rise and Shine Relic set. And just out of curiosity, I pulled one up on eBay and I scrolled to the back picture to see what kind of terminology I might find. And what I saw surprised me. It shouldn't have at this point, but it did. It said the enclosed officially licensed material is not associated with any specific player, game, or event. Now, we saw the implementation of unworn relic pieces at the start of last year when uh, there might have been some logistics issues with COVID. Mind you, I think they were a bit exaggerated. I think Panini could have found better creative solutions if they really wanted to, but clearly they didn't. Uh, But we kind of had to give them a pass nonetheless. And as I've said before, I'm happy that Pacers rookie Cassius Stanley didn't have any relics, so there was nothing that um, even tempted me in the slightest bit. Anyway... Uh, I was hoping that last year would be an anomaly when it came to unworn relics, and um, some of the early college products with this year's rookies had all but confirmed that in my mind, at least. For example, Chris Duarte has Oregon Ducks multicolor patch autos in college flawless, college immaculate, and college encased, and they all say the enclosed player-worn used material and autograph are guaranteed by Panini America Incorporated. But for whatever reason, the pro cards still have these unworn relics. And I know one of the excuses last year was, well, you know, there wasn't a rookie photo shoot, so we couldn't get them to wear anything. But as I'll discuss later with today's guest, 
there was some sort of a photo shoot in Vegas this year. And on top of that, the picture used on this hoops relic came from that very shoot. And even if Chris Duarte couldn't pile a million jerseys on at that event, Mark Ingram style, the college product shows us that somewhere along the line, he wore something and they got a hold of it. Um, Why not just have them wear a couple blank generic jerseys in the process that you can use for hoops until you get a chance to get something better for later on? Uh, It just doesn't make sense. Unless, this is a trend that I've alluded to a little bit before, and keep this in mind, this is just a theory, but Panini is losing the pro license in a few years. We haven't seen any indication that they're losing the college license as well. Could it be that they're going to start putting more of their efforts into college products to get them built up before that time? Um, Are they going to try and move collector preferences that way a little bit before it happens? Who knows? Uh, That would require a little bit of foresight, so I'm not sure that's exactly what's happening, but it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on for the time being. Okay, so all of that dealt primarily with relics that are unworn. This next portion of the show is going to talk about a card that is at least player-worn. So on Friday night, I was doing one of my normal patch searches on eBay, and I ran across a pair of Probstein listings for Donovan Mitchell National Treasures RPAs. They were both in mags that uh, still had the Panini seal on them. Um, And even though I don't have these in an online tracker, I have been following them nonetheless. I've got some of them on my computer. Uh, Well, I had a previous picture of one of them, and it was in a BGS 8.5 holder. And these were redemptions when they first came out. So it seemingly went from a Panini sealed mag to a BGS slab, then back to a Panini sealed mag. And a lot of people on social media didn't understand why this is questionable. It's pretty simple, actually. A lot of these Mitchells graded a 9.5, and this one didn't. If it goes back in the sealed mag, it looks like it came straight from Panini and gives someone the false hope that it could also grade a 9.5 or higher, when in fact we know it won't. So it's dishonest and it's deceiving. So um, I made some posts about this card on the blowout forums and social media. And one question I got a lot was, how was Probstein supposed to catch this? You know, they take in so many items and can't possibly fact check everything. Um, And I, you know what, I agree with that. It's not reasonable for them to catch this one. I don't necessarily put the, um, that action itself on Probstein. You know, it was just something that he received in consignment, most likely. And I have had other auction house owners ask me, hey, can you just message us these cards instead of blasting them all over social media? And my answer to them has been, no, I'm not going to do that. And there's two reasons why. Um, Number one, people need to know about the card. So even if it gets pulled, it's likely going to end up back in circulation. It's probably going to get passed off somewhere in person at a show. So people need to know about it. And people need to know to be aware of these things. Like a lot of people didn't even know that this Mitchell RPA was a redemption, even though the info's out there. Uh, It's just people haven't seen it. And then my second reason was if the auction house or consigner is quick to respond and take it down, that only helps them and their reputation in the long run. You know, they get a reputation that they're not going to stand for this stuff. So um, I'll be honest here. I didn't expect Probstein to take it down, but eventually they did. So kudos to them for that. And I had a Twitter follower reach out to me and said that he contacted them through eBay and they said that they've shipped the card back to the owner. Um, There were also some people that said they should disclose the name of the person who sent it in. I don't know about that. You know, this person might not have had bad intentions. Maybe they bought it from someone else. 
Um, you know, sure, it'd be nice to trace some of this stuff back to those crooked individuals, but that's going to be hard to do. So um, in the meantime, I'm a firm believer that we should just keep calling this stuff out and publicly, mind you, when we see it. Okay, on to the mail. As I said earlier, I had two main pieces of mail this week, both Pacers cards, and both of them pieces that um, I think are significant when you're talking about Pacers history. The first package contained a 2016-2017 Panini Select Gold Patch of Miles Turner. And at the time of this recording, Miles is the longest tenured Pacer on the current roster. I'm not sure if that'll be the case in a couple of weeks. You know, it seems like he might be ready to move on, but um, I've really enjoyed his time as a Pacer. So with that being said, I've got plenty of Miles stuff. You know, he's been here since 2015, so I don't buy anything unless it's a set I collect or a patch that's really unique, or something, you know, a key card that I haven't picked up yet. Like, I still don't have a a nice National Treasures Miles Turner RPA, but um, in this case, it was a patch that's really unique. So, um, this particular card features a piece of the Mel Daniels commemorative patch that the team wore on its home uniforms for the majority of the 2015-2016 seasons. And I like that for several reasons. Number one, it's kind of a nice link from the past to the present. There aren't a lot of Mel, you know, commemorative patch pieces out there. For those of you that don't know Mel Daniels, he was a big part of the Pacers' three ABA titles. He was a two-time ABA MVP, and he's also a Hall of Famer. Um, After that, he stuck around the team in different capacities as the years went on. If you watched the recent Brawl documentary, you might have seen him in there. You you probably didn't realize it, or maybe, you, you know, if you blinked, you missed it. But there's a scene from 2003 where Ron Artest is visibly upset, um, and this was after a Celtics playoff game. Well, the reason was that some fans threw some stuff at him, and he wanted to go attack them. So um, thanks, Sholey. But anyway, there's a large man in that scene that kind of forcefully keeps Ron in check. That was Mel Daniels. So he was described by some as a gentle giant, but when push came to shove, he wasn't one to mess around. Um The second thing I like about this patch is I know it was used during Miles' rookie season. Um, You know, obviously, you heard me earlier, I'm not a huge fan or I'm not a fan at all of the unworn patch thing that's going on right now. Um, But, you know, we've had player-worn stuff for a long time, and I've kind of, you know, I've I've gradually gotten used to the player-worn stuff in a sense. Um, I know it's kind of bothered a lot of people, but... You know, if you really want game-worn stuff from the rookie season, just grab a relic from a product that comes out earlier in the player's second season. Yeah, I know it doesn't have the rookie card logo on it, but there's a real good chance that the material itself is from the rookie year. So the material itself is significant. Um, And in this case, I know it is because it has the commemorative patch. And that leads me to the third reason why I really like this card. Um, you know, it gives me a project trying to pinpoint it to a specific game. I like that kind of stuff. And I haven't figured out the exact game yet, but I've narrowed it down to about 20 or so. You know, I'll probably make a blowout thread or a YouTube video that shows that process. So you want to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can see this card on my social media. I already posted it earlier this week because, you know, I couldn't wait. I was excited to get it. And I do want to extend a quick thank you to Tim, the Tristan Thompson super collector for linking me up with the seller and helping to make that happen. Okay, the second piece of mail I want to talk about is a TJ Warren 101 Laundry Tag Auto from Panini 1-in-1. It's actually my first card from 1-in-1. 
Um, now, even though the Pacers acquired TJ in the summer of 2019, he was their leading scorer for the 2019-2020 season. It wasn't Oladipo. He was out. It wasn't Sabonis. He scored a, a hair lower. So it was actually TJ Warren. Um, now, even though he was their leading scorer, Panini didn't really go out of their way to make any nice TJ Warren cards. In fact, for the majority of that season, he was pictured in a Suns uniform. And then he wasn't even in Optic. So, I mean, he missed some of the major releases, and he's the team's leading scorer. I talked about that before. Obviously, I was frustrated. It is what it is. Um, You know, it's funny, though. Some of the other league superstars, and he's not a superstar, but some of the other league stars that had changed teams already had pictures in their new uniforms as early as hoops, which was the first major release of the season. TJ Warren, however, he was a son most of the year. Um, But you guys know the rest of the story. COVID started. And he used that time to work on his deep three ball. That opened up his game quite a bit, and he had some monster games in the NBA bubble. And the most notable being the 53-point game that I talked about on this show. Um, I even talked about, hey, you know, I really wanted, I wanted to do a reactive buy in that moment. Knowing that it was a reactive buy, I wanted something that would commemorate what I had just watched. And I ended up coming, um, I, I ended up grabbing a, mosaic orange reactive parallel that was the best thing i could come up with at the time so i was definitely due for an upgrade because that's you know not that great of a card um well he missed nearly all of last year and he's missed all of this year but that short stretch in the bubble earned him a spot in nearly every product now so he went from not a lot to everything and thankfully that includes relic cards and those are starting to come out and i've been wanting a nice tj warren patch for a long time at least a pacers one so um, I saw this one on uh, one of one on the one and one checklist. It's a little confusing. And I didn't realize it was a tag until it showed up on eBay. You guys know I love laundry tag cards. I posted about them before, talked about them before. And I especially love when they have some sort of identifier on them, be it a, uh, a date written with a Sharpie or a certification number that matches up. And um, if you've never seen a full modern laundry tag before they've got a section on there that says every player every game and the older absolute sets some of the early 2010 absolute sets um had these where they had like an actual you know tag logo man tag set um i've got a couple of them but um on that same tag is a certification number that in some instances can be typed into the migray website and it tells you what game the jersey's from well the two that i have already David West and Roy Hibbert, neither one of them worked when I typed it in. Um, And, you know, truth be told, if they never get entered in by the teams or someone at the company, they're not going to be in the system. Doesn't mean they're not a legit tag. It just means they were never entered in. Um, Well, just for kicks, when I saw this Warren listed, I answered the number uh, in and lo and behold, it's from an August 20th, 2020 playoff game against the Heat. In other words, it's a TJ Warren card with the tag of a jersey from the NBA bubble, the same spot that he more or less cemented his spot in modern Pacers history. You know, it wasn't the 53-point game, but it was from that same stretch. So that got me pretty excited about the possibility of winning the card. It felt like it fit my PC or it would be, you know, a high spot on my pyramid. So um, the only problem was the price. Seller put it up on eBay with what I thought was a high starting bid and after a couple days i noticed there weren't any other bids which there shouldn't be 
And I reached out to the seller to see if he would consider offers. That's why, you know, I wasn't wasn't going to bid on it at that price, even though I really liked the card. So will you consider offers? He said no. That left me playing the waiting game. And I took what I thought was a smart, calculated risk that no one would bid because the price was just too high. And much to my delight, they didn't bid. So when the card ended, it didn't immediately get relisted. And I, I messaged the seller and said, hey, if you decide to relist it, please let me know no response. I don't think the guy wanted to really sell it. So um, it was, however, eventually relisted and he didn't tell me, which is kind of strange because you know you got a guy that's wanting to buy it, but um, he relisted it and it was $100 lower. So I had taken this risk and it looked like the pieces were falling into place. And then with about three days left, I was outbid on that minimum bid and I started to panic a little bit. So I messaged um, you know, you always message your card friends when you're panicking about this stuff. So I messaged Steve, aka Vintage Pacers, and I said, uh, in in more or less words, I, I think I phrased it a little different than this, but I said, I hope I didn't mess this up. Um, it turns out that I did. So as the auction neared its end, it passed the original mount that I thought was too high. So you know, I, I could have already won the card for that amount. It passed it, but the more I went back to this auction. And looked at it. And you guys know how it is when something's listed for a week. And in this case, it was the second time it had been listed for a week. You look at it again and again and again. Um, so I put in a higher bid and I won uh, for significantly more than the amount I passed on a week earlier. So I lost out on that one. I still think it was a good risk. I think it made sense. It just didn't work. But I've said on here several times before I think experience is a great teacher. I want you guys to hear about my goofs and mistakes. Um, I hope it can help shape your collecting philosophy a little bit. But um, in this case, it just meant I had to move something else or pass on some other stuff that I wanted to make it work, which I did. Um, and in the end, I think it was worth it. And uh, now that I've spent like five minutes talking about it and, and my goofs and all that stuff, humor me. Check this thing out on my social media. Hi, my name is Corey a.k.a. Don't Care Go Cats on Instagram. I'm currently collecting cards of Kansas State players, and my main focus is on Mitch Richmond, and I have about 50 Mitch Richmond cards left on my want list. A few of those include cards like the Topps MVP promotions, a few Essential Credentials, and other late 90s or early 2000s parallels numbered out of 50 or less. If you have any leads, please feel free to reach out. Thanks, Kyle, for this opportunity, and thanks in advance to anyone who can help me track down some rare K-State cards. Okay, thank you, Corey. Hopefully there's someone listening today that can help him out. Speaking of helping out, some of you might remember last week's Classified where Kyle Dixon asked for finest refractors. Well, he tagged me in a tweet on Saturday and said, just made a deal for 10 finest refractors that happened directly because of my little spot on the Wax Museum podcast. So there you go. That's what I like to see. Like I said at the start of the year, we are going to find the cards that you're looking for. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, Shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle, 
Grind, Spam, Profit. We're the Whip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. All right, joining me today is someone whose work you've probably seen at some point in your collecting journey, whether you realized it or not. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter under the handle at Sports Card Photographer. As his handle suggests, he is, in fact, a sports card photographer. And I'm thrilled to have him on today's show. So, Brian, how's it going? It's good. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. So you just witnessed yesterday my uh, pathetic team in action. You had the privilege of shooting there. Some of the players we were talking earlier about how um, a lot of those players, unfortunately, probably won't make it on the cards at this point. But uh, you did shoot me a, a picture of Karis Levert that uh, I appreciated. So thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a banner day for uh, either the Clippers or the Pacers in terms of uh, the basketball gods probably were rolling their eyes watching that game. <laughs> Well, that and that uh, feels like it's been a, a lot of that this year, at least um, at least the games I've been watching. But as I mentioned, and as we just kind of referenced here, you are a sports card photographer. Um, I think your bio mentions that over 2000 of your pictures have been used on sports card to date. And I, I can't even begin to imagine or guess how many photographers are out there. I'd say it's a pretty substantial number. But we don't really hear from you guys, or at least I, I feel like we don't hear from you guys. Your account seems like a major exception to that. What was it that motivated you to take this aspect of your life and make it a lot more public and, and be really active on social media? I think the fact that there weren't uh, others out there talking about it. Um, I grew up collecting cards and I never thought any of my pictures would ever appear on a card, let alone almost 2000 at this point. So I just wanted to share my stories about how the pictures were taken and, and sort of the behind the scenes. And uh, once I started doing it, I just, I really enjoyed just the creative aspect of telling the story and just getting feedback from people saying, you know, how interesting it was and how uh, it just made them enjoy the card more understanding, you know, the behind the scenes sort of uh, story of it. So just had some extra time on my hands uh, almost two years ago now and uh, started it and uh, never thought it would sort of grow to what it has. And then COVID hit almost right after I started it. So had plenty of time on my hands to, <laughs> right. to, uh, to do stuff. So uh, yeah, that's sort of how it, how it took off. Yeah, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but uh, it's tricky when your job is taking pictures of sports and there's no sports. Yeah, um, it was <laughs> it was definitely uh, some uh, bare months for a while. And then, uh, yeah, when we came back, it was, it was definitely a, a new normal that we're still sort of dealing with. Well, I can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate your account and especially reading about all these college shots you've taken and um, how they've been photoshopped. Um, so I definitely have more industry related questions for you today, but before we really jump into those, I want to learn a little bit more about you, the man behind the camera. Can you tell me a little about your collecting history? Sure. So I started collecting uh, probably when I was about seven years old, uh, early 80s, mostly baseball. I grew up in the Bay Area, so the 49ers were big with Montana and Rice. So I collected uh, a lot of football, too always was confused why there wasn't basketball cards that you could go buy so when those came out in 86 uh i was one of the rare <laughs> sort of few that was uh, all over that and uh i grew up warriors fan so 
I liked getting cards signed and the fact that there weren't cards out there to get the players to sign um, always was confusing to me. So once that uh, happened, it was it was great. Yeah, so collected most of my childhood and then sort of went off to college and uh, sort of stopped collecting and got back into it. I was always had my eye on it. Like, you know, I'd go to Target and I'd still sort of look down the card aisle, never really buy anything, but sort of see what was out there. And once my photos started appearing on cards, sort of got back into it and just been collecting mainly the photos that I take uh, that appear on cards. So you mentioned the photography aspect of it and how that kind of um, how that kind of drew you back in. So, you know, obviously somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was college or, or where after, but you became interested in photography. So how did you um, make your way into that profession? And then um, how did you merge these two passions of sports and photography? Yeah, so I, I went to school for advertising. I worked in the advertising world for 15 years or so. Um, always was a big sports fan had sort of a camera on the side that would, you know, do some photography here and there, but never thought of it that I could pursue it as a career. And then I had some health issues where I had to take a leave of absence from my regular work and had some downtime and just sort of started shooting more and more. And next thing I knew, I was at baseball stadiums and college football arenas and it just sort of took off from there so I didn't go to school for photography and self-taught and spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos and learning all I can and looking at other people's photos and trying to figure out where they were taking them from or just sort of getting inspired by that and uh, 2017 I started doing it more full-time and it's my full-time job now. So even though your photos have appeared on cards for companies like Tops and Panini, you're not an employee of theirs. So you're what we would call a freelance photographer. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening have a basic understanding of, of how that works. But can you tell us a little bit about um, what your relationship with those companies looks like or you know, how, how do they end up with your photos? Yeah, so I don't have a specific relationship with them. The company I work for, my photos go up on the AP and Getty Images wire, and the card companies search those uh, wires for the specific photos that they're looking for. Once I take them and take the photos and they go up on the wire, it's sort of out of my hands. I don't have any conversations with anybody. I don't really get alerted until sort of the cards come out that the photos are on there normally. Uh, sort of our tracking and pay system is sort of three to six months behind. So by the time I get notified that one of my photos is on a card, I've probably already seen it. So uh, yeah, once it's once I take it, it's sort of in the hands of the creative team at the various companies to select which photo they think works best on whatever brand they're working on. And uh, yeah, it's it's always exciting when a new product comes out. It's like Christmas Day, trying to see if, if I have a photo. And sometimes I'll see cards and I'll be like, why did they choose that photo? It's no good. Like, <laughs> Or, you know, I'll see one and I'll be like, oh, that's an interesting like photo. Like, how can I take something like that in the future? And, you know, like pro baseball products like Stadium Club, you know, the photography mm, always yeah. is, is amazing in that. And there's always so many photos that I'm like blown away by. So uh, I wish I wish basketball would do more, you know, photos like that. I think the Panini One product that came out 
last mm-hmm. year, whenever it was. That was sort of the first product that I've seen sort of since I've gotten back into it that really featured photos a little more as art versus just right. cutting the photo, cutting the player right. out of the background and putting it on some random color that has 18 different parallels of it. So yeah, I found a lot of the, you know, the real cool game photos or the panoramic shots, they kind of get snuck into some of the inserts that people don't care about or some of the hoops, you know, the hoops inserts that, and I've always talked about how hoop sucks. That's actually one of the better elements of it, but um, they're just not talked about. They're not seen, you know, people don't know about them. And and maybe that's part of why I determined that hoops wasn't any good because I didn't see that stuff. Um, Now I have to ask you, because I've talked on um, ad nauseum about, you know, Panini having the wrong players on the wrong cards um, and some of this I've determined comes from them being mislabeled on Getty images. So who's saddled with the task of trying to identify each and every player that's in the photos that you take? So most, most of that's the photographer's job. So uh, we'll take the photos during, say, the first half of the game. We'll go, go in at halftime, upload maybe 10 photos, caption them, throw them out to the wire, and then come back after the game's over and caption some more and, and put them up there. There are rare cases where some photos are sent just wirelessly during the game to editors to caption. But for the most part, those are sort of exceptions like big games like World Series or something that's super time sensitive that they need. Uh, They do it a lot in the NFL Mm -hmm. um, that they need photos up right away. Like they can't wait till halftime. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, NFL playoff game touchdown happens like ESPN and various. They want that photo up on their site. Then they don't want to wait till halftime. So, right. Long answer is that it's mainly the photographer's job. We definitely work together too in the in the photo room. If there's, you know, any question is is this the, who I think it is? It's that's mainly on players that might be sort of guarding someone or in the background, not not the main person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely the f- photographer's job. That you know, mistakes happen, but for the most part, you know, if you're covering a team, you pretty much know who the players are. So. Right. Uh, you should get it right. Right. But that's quite the time crunch. If you're taking pictures, sorting which ones you want to upload, going in halftime, captioning 10 of them and uploading them. I, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a moment to spare there. Is that right? No, there really isn't. Normally during the game, if, you know, during timeouts and stuff, I'll, I'll go through my uh, photos that I've taken so far on my camera and, and just tag ones that I think are ones that I want to look at more closely at halftime. But yeah, I mean, it's sort of a mad sprint. Normally, I mean, if it's a big game, you'll you'll wait till halftime hits to, to go in. But like yesterday, there was a minute left and I think there was a timeout. So I just I just went in and at, at crypto.com arena. <laughs> right. <laughs> that sounds weird. It's hard to get used to. You know, it's kind of a long walk to, to where the media room is. So you have to hustle and upload the photos. And then it's hard to get back to your spot right when the second half starts. So there's always a couple minutes sort of in between that you miss, but you got to do your best. Right. So we referenced the pandemic earlier and how, you know, at one point, I think cornhole was about the only sport being played. And I doubt you were taking pictures of that. No, definitely not. (laughs) So every, every profession's been affected in one way or another by this whole thing. Has the process of taking pictures um, and companies selecting from them, has it changed any since the start of the pandemic then? So for all of last year, we weren't allowed in our normal spots, which means for baseball, the photo wells near the dugout, we were elevated far away. 
basketball, same thing. We weren't allowed on the floor. Uh, we were basically shooting from where the TV cameras are, which is quite a ways up. But everyone was sort of in the same boat. So like mm-hmm. you could you could complain about it. And, you know, it was frustrating at times being so far away. But, you know, everyone was in the same boat. So it was like, OK, well, if that person got a great picture and you didn't like they're in the same position that you are. So the blame is on you. Um, the good part was traffic was great. There's <laughs> there is it was easy to get up to to L.A. for me and get out of the stadiums and arenas quickly. But. You know, it was challenging. I think it took a while, at least for me, shooting basketball to figure out where I wanted to be to get the photos that Panini was looking for, for college stuff, which they mainly want full body mm-hmm. um, photos that they can isolate for their cards. And it was a little little tricky to do that in the beginning. And then I sort of figured out, you know, some good spots to do that. The one good thing about shooting basketball elevated is you don't have refs just standing in front of you like i did last yesterday i was there's one ref who just run right in front of me and stand there throughout the whole play and then run (laughs) down the other side of the court so that was definitely an adjustment this year getting back on the floor and i think the first time down when the ref stood in front of me i was like oh i don't don't miss this part of it (laughs) right um yeah we need them to stay in the background and i just interviewed a guy that collects pictures of refs in the background so yeah that was was a great interview i thought of him yesterday i was like well i could take a picture of the back of the ref because that's all i see at this point right yeah we don't uh, want refs in the foreground though yeah so um, (laughs) that's true so have all of your um I guess COVID restrictions been lifted by this point, or is it still kind of different than the pre-COVID era? It's been lifted. I think they're still sort of restricting how many people photographer-wise they allow at these events, especially NFLs cutting back quite a bit for the for the playoffs and the Super Bowl in terms of how many people they're allowing on the field. But yeah, I mean it's it's getting back to normal. Hopefully it won't go sort of back in reverse, which Mm-hmm. Um, I had to shoot two college games, basketball games last week that didn't have fans in it again, oh, wow. um, which just silly. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the Rams game had 80,000 people here yesterday <laughs> and UCLA and USC had no fans in their basketball games, you know, last week. So that part sucks just because there's not the emotion and mm-hmm. the backgrounds of just emptiness um, is not great. So hopefully that was just sort of a short-term thing and we get back to fans there. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. It, you know, I shot a Gonzaga Duke game in, in Las Vegas over Thanksgiving and there was, you know, almost 20,000 people at that arena. And then a month and a half later, you can't have fans in an arena. So right, um, it's just, you know, you just try to roll with it and uh, not sort of worry about it too much. I had a bunch of games canceled and they're getting rescheduled and so that's that's sort of the COVID impact right now in terms mm-hmm. of fans um but our positions for now are are back to normal so that's good now one thing that uh in the card world was canceled or at least um well it was canceled in 2021 and then or 2020 I don't know I'm getting my years confused here but when, right. the, when the pandemic started after that next draft we didn't have a rookie photo shoot uh, which is something that we would normally have. Now, I talked a little bit about the most recent rookie photo shoot, or at least what I knew about it in an episode. And you were kind enough to DM me um, a lot more details that I definitely didn't have and didn't have access to. So um, first off, have you ever been directly involved in those photo shoots? And then 
Can you explain for us um, what you know about how those typically work? Yeah, I haven't. Those are normally run by the NBA. Uh, they have their own photographers that work directly with the NBA forum. Normally, they're like a rookie weekend. They do this for the NFL and the NBA where they bring all the rookies in. They have meetings about various you know, money and social media and just sort of how to handle themselves. And then they do a photo shoot during that weekend where they you know, put on their new jerseys and take a bunch of photos. So they didn't do the full rookie weekend uh, this year. Instead, they did photo shoots of the players, the rookie players that were in Las Vegas for the summer league. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know to what extent they had in terms of time versus with the players versus what they normally do. From what I've seen, it looks like they only shot them in, in one uniform. Yeah. Um, and uh, so if the rookie did play in summer league, they got they got pictures of them for the most part i think most rookies did play in summer league this year mm-hmm. um they didn't do an nfl shoot this past year so those photos didn't exist like they had in the past so probably next year they'll go back to how they normally do it but um right they were able to capture some stuff which for me uh the year before was great because they didn't have they didn't have any photos of these players uh, in nba uniforms and they had to use my college photos in photoshop pictures on them. So that was good for me. I'd be happy with them doing that more often. Right. So um, I know some of your, like you just said there, you knew some of those shots were used early on. I remember what you posted one on social media and it was like from, you know, I've seen AAU tournaments and all different types of of tournament. Some of them were like three years old. Um, So the players had changed a little bit since the pictures were taken. When did you find out they were going to use some of your older photos? I think the funniest one is I shot James Wiseman, who's on the Warriors, summer of his, I guess, junior year before his senior year in high school at a basketball AAU tournament, high school tournament. And uh, he ended up going to Memphis, only playing in a couple games, and then got ruled ineligible and got hurt and then didn't play anymore. So there was only a handful of photos from those couple games that he was at Memphis. So they ended up having to go all the way back to some of the pictures I took of him in high school where, you know, he looks like he's in high school. And I think the first time I saw it was sometimes Panini on there, they do like a little blog of, you know, here, here's a new release that's coming out. And they show some pictures of the cards. And I saw one of the cards of, of James Wiseman and I saw the picture and I was like, that's my picture from like three years ago. Like, are you serious? Right. So that was pretty wild. And, you know, some of their Photoshopping is better than others. You can definitely tell that it's been Photoshopped. But I mean, that was during the pandemic. They None of these players played in summer league. They just sort of had to, to make do with what they had. And there wasn't a lot of full length photos of him at Memphis, too, where you see the full body, which they like to use. So mm-hmm. I had shot him and uh, they, they decided to use those. So sometimes that happens. Jonathan Kamenga is on the Warriors too. Uh, he played on the G League Unite uh, this past year and they played in a bubble in Orlando for a couple weeks. And I guess there wasn't a lot of photos that were taken. So they've used some photos of him. I just recently posted a story about one of them that I shot in, I think, 2019. So, you know, hmm. it's a while back. So when they purchase this photo or these photos, are there restrictions on what they can do? Because here they're, you know, they're just taking your pictures and making it look like it's something else. Yeah, I don't think there is. I mean, they can't obviously, uh, I was going to say deface and change aspects of the player's face, maybe, or stuff like that. But yeah, as I say that, you know, tops as a holiday uh, 
has a holiday release where they put scarves and Santa hats <laughs> on their players. And I guess that's okay to do. So, but yeah, I'm not really sure what the restrictions of what they can and can't do. I'm also interested in knowing like, you know, they're paying for, for a trading card license, but are they paying for a college trading card license and then photoshopping mm-hmm. it into an NBA? Cause that's a whole different price and restrictions too. So I don't know. That's, that's out of my hands. I try not to figure about out about that story. Stuff. It is interesting though. It would be interesting to know. Um, and speaking of Photoshop, since we talk, we're talking about that and I don't want to put you in any sort of uh, position that will jeopardize uh, the working relationships you have, but um, there have been some mishaps as you alluded to in the last year or two. And uh, one of them I, I saw is actually one of your photos where um, there's a player dribbling in an NBA uniform and he's being defended by somebody in a college uniform. I think it was a Colorado uniform. So um, what's running through your head when you see these goofs? Like, how does this happen? Yeah, I, that was a, a card of CJ Ellerby who played uh, at Washington State. Who's I think he's still on the, the Portland Trailblazers. But um, yeah, when I saw that card, I sort of had to do a triple take. Uh, to see if they actually didn't do anything to the Colorado jersey. I mean, they do own the college license, so they, mm-hmm. they were covered there. But yeah, it was pretty wild. Actually, when I saw it, I thought of you first because of all your things that you mentioned in your podcast about sort of the things like this that happen occasionally. So yeah, it was pretty wild. And just, I mean, it seems like stuff like that shouldn't happen. But, uh, you know, I guess everybody makes mistakes occasionally. Right. you And like you said, they are fortunate they have the college license because they definitely didn't have the rights to Michael Jordan. And he ended up in, I think, two of their cards right. already. So, right. um, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I know there was some, I don't know, not court necessarily, but I know there were some legal ramifications and, and some battles over that. So they dodged a bullet on this one here. Yeah. So anyway, I suppose all companies have probably made some of these mistakes um, and it just seems kind of bad as of late, but Speaking of companies, we recently found out that Fanatics has purchased Tops. You know, I suppose this is where it's great to be a freelancer. Judging by what you've already said, I, I figure this won't affect you too much. But do you have any idea what you know the future of sports cards and your photos might look like going forward in the Fanatics era? Yeah, I don't think it'll change too much. I mean, especially with them buying Tops. You know, Tops. You know, is still going to source their images through Getty Images like they normally do. I, I would hope that we see. Top Stadium Club coming back to basketball and football mm-hmm. where you see sort of more premium looking photos. Panini right now just does so many releases where the photo is just basically cut out from the background. And, you know, for me as a photographer, that gets old. And I think it gets old for collectors too, because you see the same pictures over and over and it's just, you know, why do I need this card when I have a card that looks like it already? So I'm just hoping that they bring back or, or integrate photography more into their to their releases where it sort of gives it an opportunity to really shine because there's so many good photographers out there taking great pictures that should be appearing on these sort of cards. So that's, yeah. that's where I hope it goes. I think they're, they kind of lose sight of the fact that photography in itself is an art. So right. sometimes you don't have to, you know, manufacture art. It's already there, you know, right. they're, they're already purchasing it. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I love the cards that, you know, don't have a bunch of different colors on them and, and borders where they just, they let the picture sing and, you know, the design elements around the picture are secondary, but for me, that makes a good card. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to keep an eye out for more of your work here in the future. Um, I feel like you're one of the unsung heroes that helps make this great hobby possible. So 
Brian, I, I really enjoyed our chat today. And I, I feel like there's so much more we could talk about. We'll have to save that for another day. Before I let you go, I want to give you the opportunity to plug any of your social handles or any projects that you're working on or even cards that you might be looking for. These next few moments here are yours. Thanks, Kyle. So I'm on Instagram, a sports card photographer. I do have a Twitter account, which I don't tweet from too too often. It's just sports card photo. Normally, if I see someone else tweet uh, a card that has a picture of mine on, I'll, I'll normally retweet it. Those are the two main ways that um, my social media handles are. And uh, normally I try to post twice a week, sort of a card and then the picture that I took for that card and just the story behind how I was able to capture that picture. So yeah, I enjoy people uh, reaching out to me and talking about the photos and talking about their collection. So uh, in terms of cards that I'm looking for, uh, got a baby on the way in about two months. So my, my card collecting is sort of on hold right now. I actually on my Instagram, I also have a a link to a, uh, a Google document that has cataloged all my uh, cards that uh, feature my photos. So if anyone's interested in that. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely have to check that out. Well, uh, Brian, thanks again. And I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, Kyle. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Brian again for coming on the show and taking the time to chat with me. If you aren't following him on social media already, I suggest going and doing that right now. And then, of course, you can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast or on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is WaxMuseumPodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.WaxMuseumPodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.